people now, consumers now want to support brands who probably have their ethics in the right place, but also care for them. And I think whereas before someone might have maybe spent a load of money on like a high end designer and bought like a 16 when they're like a 20, but they can make it work because it's got stretch. They're actually like, I'm going to spend this money on a brand that's actually trying to make clothes for me. Welcome back to another season of Third Culture Africans. I'm proud to say Africa's number one award-winning career and entrepreneurship podcast voted for by you at the African Podcast and Voice Awards. I am Zezu Ariaki Sal, your host. I'm obsessed with all things entrepreneurship and our show is dedicated to igniting your entrepreneurial journey, sharing resources and giving you the tools to pursue your dreams fearlessly. We celebrate artistry and stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed. Inspiring, motivating, and full of wonder, discover how those who succeed do it. Your support helps make this show bigger and better. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join our community with weekly newsletters curated just for you. Let's connect on Instagram and Facebook at Third Culture Africans. Sit back, relax, and let's do this. Well, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans and Goni. I think we've been trying to get this in the diary for quite a long time. You're just a little while. (laughs) (laughs) You are one busy lady. I think for me with the show, One of the key things was painting the palette of success within our community. I think our stories matter and hopefully your story is part of an archive of stories of, you know, Africans across the globe doing amazing things, innovative within the creative, cultural and art space. Um, but most importantly, I guess, building a business beyond yourself. Yeah. And I think for most of us, I think that seems to be a, an even thread or a continuous thread that runs through all of our businesses. Um, so without further ado, drum roll, please. Um, Ngoni is a founder of the brand We Are Kin. Um, also a blogger and lifestyle influencer. You've been voted Forbes 30 under 30 um, for Europe Arts and Culture List in 2022, Guardian 2015. You were a breakout star um, after university doing, and then you had your first uh, graduate fashion week at London Fashion Week. Have I missed anything out? Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did miss something out. Hold on. Uh-huh. You are a cohort in Cambridge Institute 2021 Sustainability oh, yes. Agenda. I yeah. did miss that. I did miss that. <laughs> Come on now. Come this- on now. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think you forget, like I think probably like most creatives, you do so much and you work for the next accolade or whatever it is, and then you kind of forget about it because you're always chasing the next Thing, well, well the benchmark changes as well yes. right so that's forever shifting. Yeah, it's forever <laughs> shifting get your degree okay great I've got the degree when are you marrying Listen. okay I've married where's that where's the children <laughs> I am children you know it's a whole thing <laughs> give, give me a break can can we can we start there um but I guess let's start with your early years because I think um that's quite formative so yeah. you're South African 
Well, um, dad's Zimbabwean, mum is South African. Okay. I was born in Zimbabwe. So I just tend to say I'm Southern African because I take bits from both cultures and I make it work. <laughs> okay. And then up until, I guess, high school, you did that in Zimbabwe? Uh, actually, till I was about 10, 11. Okay. Yeah. And then I came to England. Oh, wow. Yeah. How did you find that transition? Um, honestly, it wasn't really a big transition for me. Okay. In terms of it went really well because I came in at the what they used to call lower school. So kids typically are nicer then. Yeah. It was when we went into like middle that life got a bit difficult. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was just people would be like, but you're from Africa. Why do you sound like that? And I'm like, you're English. Why do you sound like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very um, much. I, I yeah. moved to the UK when I was uh, 12. Yes, and, um, okay, similar. Yeah, I had, um, do you eat with, do you hunt with spears? Do you live in a hut? Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And so after a while, I just, I literally was feeding the fire. I was like, yeah, we have to go past lions <laughs> and we have to go past, like, I literally was... Yeah. Fanning I had to flame. climb a mountain to get to big school. time mm. and then they're like oh but you sound your English is so good and then Spice Girls was all the rage then mm-hmm. so they used to call me posh spice I was me like, too <laughs> oh my gosh I was never allowed to be like scary spice but no you're posh spice I was like listen who do I look like but do you know what I love Victoria Beckham so yes I'm posh spice goodness our, our parents emphasize English right <laughs> yeah that's another one of those things isn't it when you come from somewhere that's not home is you work so much harder exactly I think, sometimes than natives yeah so what got you into I guess let's start with mm. your blogging days because I think okay. the, bl- the blogging came first right um yes. and then fashion came after so yeah let's talk about you starting a blog at about yeah. at 16 years old yeah so I lived in Northampton I'm actually back home now because you okay. know could not afford to buy in London just yet <laughs> the struggle is real <laughs> the struggle is real um and it just felt like a really small town you could go days without seeing like another black family and every time we'd see one would wave at them now like there are so many like different types of black people in Northampton it's like okay it's happening but back then there just wasn't really a lot going on in terms of culture or just anything fun and so I decided to start a blog and I would write about like things I found fun or interesting some of my early blogs were literally I like Victoria Beckham because she's great and pictures of her like (laughs) Spice Girls Girls, (laughs) and stuff like that and it just kind of grew with me and sometimes I look back at my old blog posts and I'm like a lot of the stuff that you're into you're still into now but also just like a lot of growth but I just wanted to kind of the internet was almost a gateway to other people like me. And I'm actually friends now with a lot of bloggers I used to follow back in the day because we're all just a bunch of weirdos on the internet. Well, to be, to be fair, mm. I got put on to you through Fisayo. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, so to be fair, yes. You guys yeah. keep a, a, a nice community. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Carry on. Oh no, that's what that that was it. So that was kind of blogging, and obviously back then it wasn't a job. It didn't bring any money in, like for a few years. And then I started getting partnerships. So one of the first people I partnered with, one of the first brands, was Nike. Okay. And then did a lot of work with Samsung, and then like Fashion Week, and it kind of grew from there to now. Obviously, it's you know part of my um, work, but it didn't start off that way. So, what for you would you say was like the de- defining moment where the blogging became a business 
Um, when people stop giving me free stuff and started paying me and giving me free stuff, <laughs> I can't. I can't even. Remember. Maybe it might have been Samsung. Actually, maybe. Was there a conscious shift for you with doing that? Where I think a lot of people now mm-hmm. you see on social and they're like, you know what, You've I'm got growing to, my brand. Yeah. yeah, all of that. I think if we dial back to sort of you know the early to like well the late two thousands. Yeah, where we're talking about you guys who started blogging because you just, you know, found a voice and you wanted Mm -hmm. to put that out there. And especially as, I guess, the blogging space was predominantly um, Caucasian uh, female women. Yes. And um, it was, and I did used to like love following a lot of them, but when I would find women who looked like me, it just meant a lot more. And that was another yeah. way being a girl in Northampton to kind of find a bit more of community was yeah. on the internet. Because there was only like a little, there was only a few of you guys. There was Abby, there was Fasayo, yes. like the African girls who were in that yes. blogging space. Because predominantly it yeah. was, you know, girls from, yeah. you know, wealthy <laughs> families who were Caucasian. There were no African yes. girls who were, out no. there and there was a lot of like african-americans from the u.s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but when we started to talk about like african girls who were yeah. really and who looked like the rest of us right yes. i think mm-hmm. that was the key because you know you're a fuller woman um and Fasayo is a petite woman Abby's a fuller woman and there was a, a, a there was a palette that wasn't being shown to the rest of the world um, how did you find the early days navigating the space being of, I guess, African heritage and then coming into a space where it's like, oh, um, where do we fit you in kind of thing? So for me, just by virtue of growing up in like Southern Africa, um, I was used to being in the majority being black. And I've always carried that sense of if I'm in a room and I'm like one of the only or the only I don't. I look at the room like this room is wrong, as opposed to I'm not supposed to be here, or there's something wrong with me. If that makes sense, yeah. I think it, it gave me that innateness of I am the default. <laughs> You're not the default. Totally. Um, totally. And also, I have a mum who really just worked with me from a young age because she's so confident in herself. She really gave me a lot of confidence. I say I'm borderline delusional, and so obviously we all experience micro and macro aggressions for sure mm-hmm. but some things I will just fully miss it because I'm like I'm, <laughs> what like and it's just down to just being a little bit delusional maybe that's like a coping thing <laughs> but yeah so I never really thought oh I need to look like these girls or be da 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 I was just going to be I'm going to be great and I will things will happen for me how they should and also being someone of faith as well yeah, but do you think of God will make it work? Mm-hmm. But do you think it's delusion versus actually you being in a space where you grew up being okay mm. being black and your hair yeah. being, you know, yes. having coils and that yeah. was okay? Mm. Um, whereas when you come into a country and then someone's trying to tell you that that's actually not okay mm. and you're like, hold up, what? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean it's not okay? Because. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the food I eat. Like mm. everyone eats the food and I, I love it. I have an almost five-year-old. Um, yes. A, and, and my daughter will tell you her favorite food is Gary. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a play date and I said to her, okay, so what would you like to have to eat on this play date? Mm. 
And she was like, Gary, I looked at her, I was like, child. (laughs) (laughs) It's not every day, baby. (laughs) No, but what's interesting is she's of, even though she was born in the UK um, and has only visited Africa, she doesn't have, and I guess it's a generational thing Mm. where, you know, growing up, you can see like girls like you or, you know, there's the little mermaid that has, you know, a, a, you know, person of color and all Mm -hmm. of these things. Whereas for her, she doesn't need permission to tell you that she likes Gary. She tells you she likes Gary. She likes jello fries and that's what she likes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I guess back to my initial question, which is, yes, is it delusion or is it that you already had a sense of identity? I think it's definitely the sense of identity. And also I think having a mother, cause my mum's a teacher who probably knew a lot more about what goes on in schools and really wanted to make sure that going into it, I would be strong within myself because I was actually bullied um, quite a bit, you know, in middle and then also in my senior school, yeah. not the kind of bullying you see on TV, but girls yeah. can be very cutting. Very. <laughs> and, um, I think she just kind of prepared me for that. And yeah, my parents have both always, just from a young age, they would actually listen to what I had to say. Like at five years old, I had a vote in like what the family was going to do that day, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And all those things have definitely created a very strong woman. And now some of my guy friends are having daughters and I'm like, listen, you guys have got to be the ones that imbue this like confidence and strength in your daughters because the world is going to try to take it from them especially if they're black you're woman but you're black that's two things yeah Yeah, very true and I think there's something about I guess culturally where Mm. like I my mom even identifies Mm. where she says you know you're parenting so differently to how I even parented yeah and you know navigating life in in such a different climate to Mm -hmm. the life like to the world your parents knew yeah um but you took the blogging and you Mm -hmm. made something of it Yes. And then there was going into university. Now, how did the conversation yeah. go about going into fashion in your in your household? Oh, gosh. So dad's an engineer, very smart guy. And I used to watch fashion TV um, all the time. And it was oh my one God. Way shows Where's it gone, fashion TV? I don't know. But I used to watch one-way shows all the time. And mm. I was really into like, my textiles lessons and making mm. all these projects. And so when I said to my very, you know, academic dad, oh, I want to do fashion. And he was like, is it me? Is it because I've been taking you to Hobbycraft to buy these canvases? <laughs> he was so distraught. He was like, what is it happening? And my mom was like to him, George, have you not seen your daughter over these years, like what she's interested in? Because growing up, I'd always said, call me Dr. NRC. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to help people. But I'm one of those people mm. who also has conversations themselves. And I remember I was like 14, 15, and I sat with myself in my head and I was like, yes, you want to help people, but being a doctor won't make you happy. And also, you don't really like blood, so (laughs) you won't be a great doctor. How about you do something you love, hopefully make a ton of money, and then you can help people that way. And so that was like the thought process with myself. And then I read an article by Harriet Quick in British Vogue where she spoke about the trophy jacket. So about a week, two weeks, I wanted to be a fashion journalist. And then I said to myself, no, I want to be the one that's being written about. And so okay. That's okay. how I decided to do fashion. And then obviously having that conversation with my dad, he's like, oh, God, my daughter. And my mom was just fully supportive. Mm. And dad was like, I mean, if this is what you want to do, fine, but you have to marry well. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, um, and here we are 12 funny. years later, still unmarried. But... <laughs> Honestly, um, yeah. I mm. don't think you should rush it. 
take your time oh, girl i know <laughs> listen listen although i am in love but yeah um but i feel like this is like the right kind of time i think you know yeah this is a lot but let's that's a story for it another sure podcast. is i sent it so uh, my sister sent me this um you know these like memes yeah right and and it, it says let's get married and have kids so instead of using our years of education to change the world we can be butlers to tiny people who want to stop <laughs> screaming at us Yes, I've seen that before. And, you know, it let's, is let's so critical ac- thinking, guys. <laughs> it is so accurate because that is what awaits. <laughs> yes. And then the, after all that, they don't even have time for you. And also, <laughs> listen, I've been a little present. I am, I'm big, big 30. I'm mm. very much financially independent. Mm. But listen, I drove to my dad's on Sunday for a hug. I wanted a hug. And he's all come in. I was like, no, I just wanted a hug. I've got to go now. And he was like, okay, bye. To be honest, honest, I feel you on that. Like, I I literally tell my daughter sometimes, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I need my mummy. So I call my mum. Yeah. Because, like, we're also someone's, like, I I try to remind her. I'm someone's little girl. I'm someone's child. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I have a mummy too, you know. Exactly. We're having toddler conversations. I'm like, (laughs) I'm calling my mummy and I'm going to tell her what you did to me. (laughs) my gosh no one prepares you for this okay so then Mm. you go in and do Mm -hmm. your fashion degree yes and I did an art foundation actually before so I did a foundation degree it was a year spent making art in the Mm. art studios at University of Northampton Mm -hmm. and that was a lot of fun because I I just felt like I wasn't creative enough to go from straight away from school to university I just wanted to have a bit of fun as well and so I did that and then, yes, went into my degree. Um, I actually won a scholarship my first year. Wow. Um, called the Maggie Barwell Scholarship. It was £15,000. It wasn't Whoa. untested. But what you had to do was to write what you were going to use that money for. So it's 5K each year of study. Yeah. And you had to write why you wanted this money. And I was like, well, I do this in my blogging career. I want to be like a really strong fashion designer. I'll use this money to intern and do this and do that. Amazing. And then I won it. And it was like really great. And then Amazing. in my final year, I won another scholarship. Again, not means tested, but you, again, has to do a presentation. And one thing I'll say to young people is just because you're young doesn't mean you'll get away with stuff. So when I went into this presentation, it's easy. I wore a suit. I yeah. like a suit though. I'm, I'm, I'm a suit girl. So if I. We'll get to your yeah. outfit soon. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to the fashion bit soon. Because yeah, so you bring yeah. it. You bring <laughs> it 24 7. I am like, I need, I need this girl's confidence I need but we'll get to that so yeah so yeah I wore a suit because I was going to be presenting to a bunch of much older white men Mm. in the leather business because Cordwainers it's you know it's a leather kind of um company Mm. not company in the way that you know I mean a brand it's just um Mm. it's like an English thing anyway so I went in I did my presentation and I was like you know I want to do this collection it's all about strong women Mm. a lot of my inspiration is like from shields and warrior women and you know give me this money I'll use all the best leathers and they gave me it was like three and a half k and then I did it in my final collection I still look at it every so often and I'm like oh you are that bitch you nailed it sorry for the language but you nailed it you nailed it you nailed it yeah and um and that was kind of university and I really did enjoy it and I would go to uni like I'd be there like seven in the morning before anyone else was there and I would leave like seven after everyone else had left because for me this is what I really wanted to do. Sometimes people study fashion thinking, oh yeah, things will just work easy. Fashion is difficult. And if like my child would say to me, I want to do fashion, yeah. I would be like, why? <laughs> yeah. 
and hopefully I'll, I'll be in a position to like nepotize them because fashion is a difficult industry when you come from a normal background and you're just kind of getting on with it but obviously I love it it's rewarding but I knew that I was going to be in a world of hard work mm. yeah so that was uni amazing and then you get to your final year you get the mm-hmm. sponsorship yes now how does the breakout star thing work um I don't know to be honest with you I feel like there was just a lot of grace and there's been a lot of grace in my life so okay. I did what I did at uni and it yeah was but really you were soon. you were going into university at 7 a.m like I think you were you were doing more than the average right like you were putting in the work I guess, but listen, for me, I just blame God for everything, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, <laughs> and, um, yeah, no, I did, I did work hard, absolutely, but... Um, so was there something mm-hmm. about you blogging and being, I guess, the hanger for other brands that helped you shape how you were becoming a designer in yourself? I think... Probably organically. I would love to be one of those people who tells you that I've orchestrated my whole life. Mm. I've always had a plan, mm. but how things have happened, honestly, I am just grateful, if that makes sense. But I think, yeah, it's definitely, it definitely informed things. Because even just going to like Paris Fashion Weeks and then coming back to like work on, you know, because it would be in September. And September is when like uni starts. So I'd usually miss the first few days of uni because I was mm. at Fashion Week. Mm. Come in, you know, obviously all that kind of stuff and the exposure to fabrics and like mm. a different kind of life and, you know, inspiration for sure. Actually, yeah, you're right. It did, it did, it did inform a lot, consciously Amazing. and subconsciously. Yeah. Amazing. And then we mm-hmm. get into you then deciding yes. on starting We Are Kin. Yeah. So what can you talk me through what that mm-hmm. moment was for you where you kind of thought, you know what, I can do mm. this? So I was in my flat in London and I had been, you know, I'd worked for a couple of companies. Um, and I didn't like a lot of the practices that shall I saw. They, shall they remain nameless? They, they will. Okay. So some companies I worked with are great. Some were not great. And okay. some of the practices for me, I was just like, Mm-mm. and then the Rana Plaza disaster happened, which was when the clothing factory in Bangladesh um, yes. collapsed basically. Yeah. And I, listen guys, I'm a luxury girl. I love the fashions. Okay. And I just remember seeing that and thinking to myself, this industry I love is so toxic. It's so harmful. It's bad for the people. It's bad for the planet. I kind of want to do something a bit different. And so that's how We Are Kin came about. And I remember trying to think of what I wanted to call it. And I wanted it to be something whereby people could all feel a part of it. So that's kind of how I ended up with kinship, kin. And then I was like, we are kin because I didn't just want it to be about me. But also this has always been my like, practice run if that makes sense that's why I didn't immediately call it Ngoni because I'm sure you know you're like why did you not call it your name because you seem like that kind of person it's coming at some point guys but um so that's how that came about and I just wanted to start a brand that yes was profitable but it also put people and planet above profit because I think it's really important and also for me to sleep well at night I just need to know that people are being paid well um and also that I'm not damaging the planet or doing my best to minimize it because fashion while beautiful has a very ugly side like the third biggest yes yes so yeah got you so you then start Mm -hmm. we are kin Mm -hmm. how do you start it where's the money coming from 
where do you begin? Um, so I, where did I get money from? I just graduated uni, so I had definitely had a little bit left over from my scholarship. And then I'll be honest with you, I spoke to people. <laughs> so my friend Abby, who you mentioned okay. earlier, yeah. she gave me the venue for Fashion Week um, at the apartment. They also happened to have hair and makeup there. So my hair and makeup was done for me. The models I got for my cousin's model agency um, and then a few other girlies that I kind of knew. One of my friends was also a model. Um, and I think... I think didn't pay everybody I think I paid like two models mm. everyone else just kind of did it for me for free because I was like guys I ain't got no money <laughs> like, let's, yes, let's... Yes. and then in terms of like fabrics and clothes I just did what I I could and then I remember show day came and one of my friends did the music for the show um Abby got me the flowers um that I had and it was that kind of like ragtag I'm definitely sure mum and dad would have thrown me like 100 200 here each because I'm trying to think of my set design I definitely paid a carpenter to make that um and that's just kind of how I did it and I remember after the show my dad was like oh so which one was yours and I was like no dad this whole show is me yeah that's how like scrappy it was yeah <laughs> yes. so I really used all the things I could Amazing. to make it work and influencer friends were there a few members of the press were there and that was how I launched my brand and it wasn't until like a year and a half later where I actually dropped a collection because obviously it is difficult to um manufacture when you're <laughs> you know trying yeah. to self-fund yes and yes. then um, that was just kind of the story of like how it started but the thing is with me is I'm very fortunate in that the people in my life truly love me friends family people who just meet me I'm open I'm honest and that has led to so many different just saying a need so how I found the first factory you used I was at um, Wallcrest, this is like God, years ago now, and um, my mum was talking to one of the merchants in this um, textile store called Wallcrest in East London, and um, she was like, my daughter's looking for a factory, do you guys know anybody? And it must have been summer holidays, because my mum was with me during the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she was on skipping work. And yeah. like, oh, the, the factory is, uh, there's a factory owner we know who's actually upstairs. That's oh, how cool. I found my factory owner. So I think when you're young, it's so good to ask questions because people will help you. I think as you get older, people are less inclined. It's so good when to you're talk. young, it is talk. good to talk. Be talking. <laughs> it's good to talk for sure. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we then have your first collection come out. Yes. Now, at what point is there this whole sort of galvanizing happening around you and the collection and then the press and all mm. of that? So I'm actually on my website now so I can see my first collection. Um, so I can remember all the trauma and really breathe it in. Yep, I've got it. I've got it in front of me. It's all yeah. coming back. So I then decided to leave London because I was like, you're not an adult if your dad's paying your rent. Okay. Because obviously now I was, you know, working on my label full time. Dad was paying my London rent. Interesting and choice. I was just kind of like, no, this is not. Because here's the thing. I think it is important to know what you want your story to be. And for me, I wasn't trying to put pressure on my parents to make my dreams happen, if that makes sense. And so I moved back home. And so I lived at my mum's house and then I worked at my dad's because it was never there. So I basically turned his like house into my studio. Yes, yes. <laughs> he yes. would come home and find mannequins in his living room. Oh my um, and then I also got a side gig and that's how I made my first collection um I'll be honest my parents definitely like supported me but not in the way you'd think if that makes sense I'm one of those people who 
I will do everything I can. And then it's like, mum, dad, I've made the collection, but I don't have money to pay models or travel or to get the photographer. Can you help me with that? So that's kind of more what it was. Um, And that was my first collection. And I used my friend Marin. And she happened to have a friend called Georgia. And then, you know, Esther Key was my photographer and they were all paid. And that was my first collection. And it happened to be... I told a lie, sorry. So the studio before wasn't my dad's studio. I was sharing a studio with um, the rest. So Alex, Lewis, Levi, and also Slow Tie. So they would be upstairs and I was using downstairs as my fashion studio. So that's where we did the first, um, you know, couple of seasons. And then I, when that studio closed down, that's when I then used my dad's house as a studio. And that's how it worked for that, that first season. And I didn't sell very many pieces of that first collection actually do you remember but how many my you friends... sold oh god like maybe like 200 and then um my next collection I happen to have um a blogger friend actually Dami she's Nigerian me and Nigerian women love story for the ages that's story for another time <laughs> <laughs> listen Nigerian women and I we just get along I must be an Ibo babe honestly. Yeah, I, you must be in a, in a different life it, honestly <laughs> and so her and her then partner had a store in Shoreditch called um Utter I think or not just another store London so they stocked some of my pieces for me and it was really nice to kind of sometimes go in the store and hear feedback from customers about what they liked what they didn't like and when we are first started my sizes were 8 to 16 the first collection okay so you By did the next regular, one I was doing... regular sizes <clears throat> yeah yeah straight sizes by the next collection I was doing 6 to 26 because being a South African woman, our idea of beauty is curves. Yeah, totally. So, and you guys, and you guys come ready made. With listen, 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 listen. The tailoring bills really do bill. Yeah. And so I was like, no, let me try to figure this out and really just begin as I mean to go on. As much as I have this principle that people and planet over profit, I also just want to be size inclusive. I want all women to be able to buy my clothes and feel great. And I'll figure it out. And so I had to teach myself how to cut patterns because I do my own pattern cutting um, in bigger sizes. Is that because like the traditional sort of contract manufacturers won't or don't know how to cut patterns for bigger women? Um, no, they will charge you money. Uh, yeah. They will charge you <laughs> more money than cutting. No, no, they'll charge you money in general. I remember I'm like being like scrappy with it. Okay, okay. And so it was cheaper for me to sit there, watch YouTube, read all the books and learn how to like, you know, cut than it was to like pay someone a lot of money to do it. But also with We Are Kin, our sizing is very much like on the nose. We don't get returns on sizing. We don't really get many returns anyway, but definitely not on sizing. Someone wants to send something back. We're like, yeah, sure, of course you can, but could you let us know why? And it's usually like, oh, um wrong time or maybe like or whatever it might be but it's not about sizing for the most part and so that that's why you know or that's how the size inclusivity bit came into the brand it was just that important to me being like I mean I've always been like a between a 10 and a 14 currently maybe 14 16 but my body bodies pandemic (laughs) pandemic was pandemic did it did the most for everyone listen listen we're here it's all right pandemic um, did it (laughs) And so um, I I just wanted women to actually be able to just wear my clothes and feel good. And also if somebody is like bigger or smaller than a six or 26, you know, I'm always like, drop us a note. We will get your measurements and we'll make the piece for you. That's fine. That's also the beauty of made to order. Um, and that's why, you know, sizing is important. So I think I went off on a tangent then. But No, but that's okay. <laughs> because I, I think 
<clears throat> um, you know, everyone wants to know, but what makes you different from yeah. every other brand, right? Yeah. And so I think what you've shared is key because for a curvier woman, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know that I've got a lodotic spine. Mm-hmm. And so finding a pair of trousers or a skirt that's going to fit where it hugs my waist and then yes. allows space. And like and I flatters the bomb bomb. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't have hips, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. have, I have more hips than I did before having a kid. Yeah. Um, but I know that n- no one cuts for my, my shape. So yeah. then you're limited with what kind of clothing you wear. Yeah. Um, so I think the idea that you cut for a a specific type of body is mm-hmm. so key. And I guess that's where the next question comes into mm-hmm. play, is, which is how do you decide what you charge? Um, so the typical fashion model um, is cost of like the fabric plus production so manufacturing times two that's the wholesale price and then you as a customer you then tend to get another times two or times 2.2 on top of that because okay. we are kin is like you know owned by me yes. <laughs> um I tend to do cost of production and like uh fabric or whatever trims and things times 2.5 so I do charge less than I actually should. And it's so funny when people tell me that, oh, your clothes are expensive because things with We Are Kin tend to be from about 60 to about 210, mm-hmm. 250. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I, if I was actually charging you what I should charge. Yes. <laughs> because I want it to also be accessible. And I'm here mm-hmm. for, I would rather have slow growth and grow and grow and grow and grow than to like, you know, you, you've seen it with brands who we all love, but they come in, they charge what they charge. And then they also just kind of, burn out after a while and it's not because it's not their fault Mm. the clothes should cost that much but it's just you know you want more consumers and I just want if it means more people can wear my clothes that's okay as long as I've paid my you know suppliers and my manufacturer so how how much does the customer play a role in your designing process now like your clothes Mm. are very um clean lined mm-hmm. and um I'm trying to think of the the right word refined mm. and it's clean lines refined it's very like um remember that show that had Olivia Pope and like every yes year? It's, <laughs> scandal it's, it's yeah. very much that aesthetic now yeah what role does I guess your customer play in that like is she mm-hmm. a, a professional um do you think about those things even yeah right so I make clothes I want to wear (laughs) I make clothes I think women who are in their early 20s would want to wear women in their mid 40s will want to wear that's kind of how I start but I do listen to my customers so I if I had my way I could wear black all the time but time and time again like my customers have been like we want to see color we want to see print so this season you can see color you can see print and I'll see how that goes and that will inform the next season so each season has learnings like I said the first season the sizing was tight the next season it's been opened and so on and so forth so with we are kin I do believe that I'm in kinship with my customers so they inform what I then do next with what they tell me like I'm always listening to their feedback Mm. and then technology Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that struck me about your website Mm -hmm. was that um, you go onto your site and you don't have actual models wearing the clothes Mm -hmm. Um, they are 
I, I want to like say three D renders. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What what role is technology playing in your business with We Are Kin today? And was that a conscious choice to go down that route as opposed to the tradition? Yeah, it's a, it's a probably three-pronged yeah. question. <laughs> it was it was a conscious choice just because it allows the consumer to see themselves in the clothes, right? One, two, it is also less wasteful. So there's less waste in terms of like making samples that only the model can wear, being like you know five eleven, whatever size they might be, and um, then those clothes will just sit around. And yeah, yeah. and it's like, you know, waste in terms of money as well, like having to do the whole shoot thing. Although mm-hmm. that is really lovely and I would love to do one again. But I just wanted to try it out because it was fun. So I did it last season and I had help from James Mack and a a designer, a 3D digital designer, Laura. Okay. Um, Laura Senkut, who did, you know, her and James. So James did my animation. So where mm-hmm. it would move with the wind, almost these 3D renders. And then this season, I did them myself because, again, I sat down, I had a week, and I was like, let's figure out how to design 3D. And I did it. I didn't think I was going to get it, but I did. Yeah. And, and that's just like another little skill. And one thing I do love is like, I'm always open and wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. And also with 3D design, instead of you having to sit around hours, maybe days in the studio trying to figure out how a garment works, mm. you can do the exact same thing using your computer. So I can mm. like drape on it. I can pin things. I can do whatever I want to do and see it. And then I can also visualize it in different sizes, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. again makes design really fun and also easy. So the mm. part of that process Mm -hmm. that you're now doing the whole computer generated thing did you learn that on the job yeah okay I literally bought a Udemy course it's one of those websites um, and what the software I use is Clo3D and I'm not joking I sat there for a week every day I'd go downstairs in my studio (laughs) at my desk and do the lessons and then because I'm impatient I also did kind of rush and do certain things myself, figure it out. Oh, I've messed up. Okay, let me see what I missed. And that I believe I learn from doing. Some people can learn from from reading. I learn from doing. So yeah, that's what I did. And then I guess the next question is about growth, scaling. Um, You get your Forbes 30 under 30. Now, what does that do for you in terms of how you see your business? Um, And also where you start to think of the goals you have for your business? It's really hard with like an ethical business because it's not like any other kind of fashion brand where it's like my goals are just my goals, if that makes sense, because I use a lot of dead stock, end of line fabric. um, And then also I have, I do made to order. It's a little bit difficult in terms of scaling. So I've been approached by a lot of the big guys, to be honest, to either be stocked or to work with them. And for one, it was kind of like, if I make 30,000 pieces for you, the brand is no longer going to be sustainable because I know you're absolutely going to have some stock left over. And then what are you going to do with that stock? Are you going to burn it? <laughs> or are you going to sell it back to me? And then I end up with like stock that, because they just like to order big numbers. They don't really, they're not going to look, at, does that make sense? It doesn't matter to them to really be like tight with like what orders they want to make. They just want to order a load, get on with it. And then it ends up being a problem for either you, the brand, because it's sale or return. So what they don't sell, you then have to buy back from them or they keep it, but then they burn it or, you know, it ends up in the global south. 
um that's one reason so so <laughs> mm-hmm. did you ever try going into retailers or... yeah no okay. I've, I've spoken to quite a few like retailers have always come to me and like I'm saying it just didn't seem like the brand could still be sustainable with a lot of the things that have come to me so far so if you do see we are kin working with a big retailer know that the values that are important to the brand are still intact the reason why we haven't yet is that it's hard to when you're trying to do business with heart it gets really difficult and muddy but for me this is what matters most is that the heart is kept in the business and so I'm fine with you know the growth and where it's going I do want it to grow more and it will do but yeah amazing and in terms of managing the highs and lows of entrepreneurship right like we know that's real yeah um and it exists in in ferocity (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's quite ferocious. How Mm -hmm. do you deal with that? Say, for instance, something like the pandemic, because your clothes Mm -hmm. are beautiful clothing. Yeah, let me tell you about that. So my mum's got a heart condition. So come March 2020, I'm seeing this thing coming around. I kicked both my brothers out. I was like, go to your house, go to your house. Um, Locking this house down, right? Because I feel like this thing is going to be really bad. And I just feel like it won't be good for mum's heart. And then I'm like, April time, who's buying clothes? Because that's when we were kind of got in lockdown. So who's going to buy clothes? Like my brand's going to fold mm. because my my brand needs um, money each um, season, each year. Mm. And I was like, what's going to happen? But yeah. at the same time, I was like, do you know what? If that's what I have to do, that's what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And then um, actually people were buying more really people People were really shopping people wanted to buy my brand because it was a black owned brand people wanted to buy my brand because it was a small brand people wanted to buy my brand because it was made in england and press was pressing and that's another example because obviously i'm faith-based i'm like god really Mm. just did his thing because like the pandemic was really great for my brand wow (laughs) and also a lot of um international customers got onto we are kin and Mm. the the difference with american consumers and British consumers an American consumer especially plus size girlies I love mm. them so much yeah they will not just buy one thing you give a plus size girl a, something that works for their body and their shape they will buy it in every color they will buy all the other pieces in your collection American yeah. girls too um but is just it, isn't that like, isn't yeah. that because there just mm. isn't enough out there um yes but also I think people now consumers now want to support brands who probably have their ethics in the right place but also care for them and I think whereas before someone might have maybe spent a load of money on like a high-end designer and bought like a 16 when they're like a 20 but they can make it work Mm. because it's got stretch Mm. they're actually like I'm gonna spend this money on a brand that's actually trying to make quotes to me me. yeah and I don't have to like squeeze myself and do all this madness to get into it if that makes sense so I think that too but no I don't understand why businesses um don't cater more to plus women because one they know how to dress because they have less to play with yeah yeah and also I just feel like they have the money I'm sorry Mm. like this is such an untapped market Mm. and I'm saying this from a business point of view obviously again yes the women in my family in my life look are plus yes or at the very least not straight size right yeah but then when you look at from a business point of view come on and it's just I don't get why Mm. businesses don't I'm just like you just hate (laughs) you you hate money yeah 
Yeah, well, I, I, and, yeah. and it's the same thing that's happened in the beauty industry, right? Yes, black women spend the most on beauty. Did you know that? Yes, I do. And know yet, that. our beauties. Are, oh, of course, you know this. Sorry, <laughs> uh, I love, I love your scent. That um, there's this limey. Vadio. Yes, you. Oh, love it. Thank you. Um, I actually need to get that again because I ran out. Like, I'll, I'll, years I'll ago send. I'll send it to you. I'll send oh, it you. to you. I feel um, like mm. I feel like there is something around. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this also happens to us as entrepreneurs or business people creating, right? I feel like there's almost like a mind blank when it comes to the black consumer or the African consumer. Um, you know, I just had a friend, Winnie, who's just put out this amazing report, which is on type four hair. Um, yeah, I write a column called Out of Africa, and the goal is really just to to put a spotlight on the African cosmetics industry, our mm-hmm. trends, what we're buying, what we like. And you will be so surprised that there is zero information about us. Yeah. None. Wow. There is there are no reports in the same way that there are reports on the industry. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, what's happened is literally there's a complete black hole when it comes to looking at the African consumer. Yeah. Now, on the continent of Africa, <laughs> in terms of population, mm-hmm. it seems crazy that that isn't even a consideration. Yeah. Um, and yes, there are some barriers to entry or even infrastructure issues. But nonetheless, like we have, you know, an insane population and and, yeah. and have one of the fastest growing populations in the world. Mm-hmm. So how we are left out of sort of mainstream marketplace is mm. a constant concern for me. Now, yeah. you've come from utilizing social media mm-hmm. being you know an african woman of color yes. and then being you know a fuller woman plus size woman mm-hmm. you know you weren't plus size then but you weren't a straight size and all of these different things now how have you leveraged your knowledge of social media because everyone talks about build mm-hmm. your brand social media mm-hmm. all of these different things now one how have you leveraged it Mm-hmm. Two, what part does it actually play, really? Like, mm-hmm. give me the yeah. low, give me the low, low, because <laughs> I'm of a different school, right? Yeah. Like, I'm of the school that like social and web is just a nice place for someone to go find information. Yeah. It's not something you can. Well, I haven't been able to master converting mm-hmm. it. Um, so yeah. t- tell me, as someone who yeah. leverages that, how how does that work for you? Before I start, mm. right, I could be a lot better at leveraging my social. What? I could do a lot more. I absolutely no, Zizi, it's it's for real, Zizi. What what be. what'd you say about someone I... like me? Well, story for another time. Let's take that offline. I'll, I'll shout at you offline. But but for me, what has worked is that people have bought into me as a person. Mm. They see who I am. They see how I live. They see my integrity. And so even if I'm not working within my own brand and I'm talking mm. about something else, they know that if I say I like it, they know I like it. Yeah. Because they see me with my dog, with my mum, in my allotment, in my studio. They see me, I've got a baby shower, I need to make a dress. Guys, come along with me and yeah. watch me make this dress today. 
it's that kind of open and integrity and you don't have to get too much into your private business I don't think people know <laughs> actually a lot about me they know what I want them to know yeah but then when it then comes to guys I've just dropped a new collection oh look at this dress I'm wearing that I made it's so beautiful it's on my website people want to buy into that and sometimes I feel like someone's just like, do you know what? They just like who you are and they will invest in you, whether that's sharing your pieces, buying something for their partner, buying something themselves, or even just bigging you up because yeah. your name is spoken in rooms you're not even aware of. And I think when people enjoy you, it works quite well. I've done a, I've done collaborations or talks that don't wouldn't make any sense to anybody else just due to somebody liking me. So last year I did a talk for EA, Electronic Arts, mm. you know, the games people. Yeah. By the way, I grew up playing Burnout, which was like the <laughs> big car crash game, really enjoyed it. Oh my I gave God. a talk to them about what it was like to be an entrepreneur. But when you think about fashion and gaming, you're not yeah. going to put that together. Mm. But I guarantee you somebody there was like, this girl's a lot of fun. Mm. Let's bring her in. They didn't know that I was already like, you know, I used to be such yes. a big gamer and, yes. you know, all that kind of stuff. Those things happen. But I think there is a way to really do it. If I was to post every single day at the exact same time, whether it's like I do something where it's educational and then I do something that's more fun and then more of a BTS, that's like, you know, six days a week that would grow my brand. That would also grow my actual, like, we are kin. It's just, I'm just really busy. But also I spend a lot of my life a lot of my time living life and not recording it. <laughs> so that's like why I said I could be a lot better. But what I do do is I, I do talk. And sometimes if I have a hard week, I say that too. And I post little encouraging things on stories. And, you know, now I do this thing every week called sustainability news, where I kind of round up top three sustainability news stories that people might have missed or may not understood. Because sustainability is such a big thing. And I feel like that's also just been helping because um, I was with some of my girlfriends the other day who I grew up with, Nigerian girlies. And you know you love us. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you people love me. It's me you love, okay? I can't escape you people. Um, no, but one of them was like, oh, she was going on vacation. She came to borrow some of my clothes. And she was like, I was actually going to go on Shein, but Goni, every time I typed in that website last week into my browser, I could hear your voice. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so it's things like that and I know that yes that's one who knows me but I know strangers on the internet are also going to be having that same thing well that was going to be another question from me which is you fast fashion right yes and there are and and this is a thing right like we all want to look good we all want to look on trend absolutely but you make classic pieces Mm -hmm. timeless pieces now how do you navigate that space where, you know, your friends are going on Shen? Mm-hmm. Um, so with me, my values are very loud and very direct. And um, I also just bring it up, but not in an accusatory way. Here's the thing. Everybody wants to look good. That's human. And it's not, um, I know sometimes people look at fashion as like unimportant. Fashion is very important. People will dress will address you by how you're dressed. That we can't like ever 1, kind of forget that point. And we all want to look good. We all want to feel good. And so people do, you know, shop fast fashion. Some people shop it because that's the only way they can get their sizes. Some people shop it because that's all they can afford. But for me, it's the if you're buying, you know, a three hundred pound haul from Shein or Zara, 
honey, you can afford to <laughs> buy less and buy better. It doesn't have to be for me. There are lots of brands. There, there are hoochie sustainable. Mm. <laughs> there are hoochie sustainable brands. There yeah. are, you know, whatever kind of your vibe is. Yes. There is a sustainable brand for that, and I just think, you know, so I do have those conversations, and sometimes people will ask me, I want to like, you know, a cutout dress. Where can I get that from, or whatever it might be? And also, when I find new things, like even just knickers. You know, I'll be like, oh, guys, I found this brand that does like, you know, sustainable knickers or pajamas or whatever. And it's all about information mm. sharing. Mm. Um, and again, that also feeds into people trusting you, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Amazing. Now, next question, and mm-hmm. I'll move away from the sort of social side of things, because I really mm. want to talk about sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, what part of you feels mm. like... Because you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. if you were posting regularly, you'd grow your brand, mm. grow your personal brand as well. Mm-hmm. What part of you feels like, and and this is a choice, right? I mm-hmm. was having this conversation with a with a bunch of uh, ladies who are also in business, mm-hmm. and you know, it was, oh my god, this person's blown up, and that person's blown up, and yeah. you come from an era where you know some of your peers you have know, blown up, mm-hmm. have blown up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like you are less talented mm-hmm. um, than they are or that your content is less interesting mm-hmm. than they are. Yeah. Um, and I was saying, but we all make a choice on what we're building. Yes. Are we building something long-term? Are mm-hmm. we building something that we want to supersede our time on this earth? Yeah. Are we, what was that for you? Because Someone can say, oh, but Ngoni, you're from the generation where actually Mm. you should be sitting on hundreds of thousands of followers Mm -hmm. by now. What what was it for you where you kind of took a step back and was like, this isn't what I want? You mentioned the the Mm. lack of sustainability in in the industry. Was there more that influenced that? Um, So with like everybody else who has blown or however they've blown, for me... It sounds very like um, self-righteous, but I'm just all about women winning. I feel like as long as the girlfriend winning, a woman winning, I'm okay with that. Even if sometimes I want that to be me, if that makes sense. Totally. totally. I would rather see somebody who looks like me than to not have any. I'm not one of those, I have to be the only ones Mm. kinds of people. Mm. But sometimes, you know, not even recently, but yeah, definitely at certain times in the past, there's been times where I'm like, oh, but I want to, I want these numbers too. And da, 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 da. But then it's like, okay, it will happen for you someday. And it also might not, but like your journey is your own journey. And that's something that, again, remember earlier I spoke about my mum being so confident and imbuing me with all this self-confidence. Yeah. I genuinely believe that I will never miss out on anything that's for, like for me. A thousand. So if something happens and it yeah. doesn't happen for me, it wasn't for me in that moment. And at some point it might be, or something else might be coming. Yes. And I don't play the comparison game at all ever. Mm. Because you cannot compare to me. <laughs> I can't compare to you. Well, that this is sense? true. This is true. Um, but I, I can understand the feelings of it. Because remember, I'm also a woman who went to a girls' school. So I understand how women sometimes we can think and we can feel. I'm just a little bit beyond that just by virtue of my upbringing and also having two brothers and a dad who all bully me mercilessly. <laughs> so <laughs> I've got bigger problems at home. Yes, 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 yes. Um, um, so yeah, so that bit yeah but also a lot of these girls work hard some people it does happen by luck or whatever but a lot of these ladies work 
bloody hot. I don't I don't think there's any looking at darling. Like to okay. post to post Fair. content every day. Ah, In fact, to remember, to remember to capture the moment while you're living it and make sure it's aesthetically pleasing. Yes. Then to now come up with a strategy that means that you're posting the content. Like, honestly. No, but there is also an element of luck because you can post all you want. And and it can be beautiful and really whatever. Like my trip to Marrakesh early this year beautiful took all the best photos da, 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 da. i didn't get more than like 250 likes hey good i post a photo just a random photo of me you know th- this week yeah like nearly 400 so it's one of those where there is also an element of luck in it as well because i was being really like you know on it and all of that and sometimes i'm really on it and the figures are great sometimes i'm really on it and they're not and so i think that's what i'm saying some they do work really hard but also there is also an element of right place right time because one mm. person can share you and make everybody else then share you just by they saw it shared they're like oh i want to share this too okay. other times um okay nobody shares it at all so for me i look a lot at my saved mm. so people you know when someone bookmarks essentially your instagram yeah right? yeah so some of my posts can have like let's say like i don't know, let's say 250 likes right mm. and then the saves will be like 80 so 80 people have saved that as like inspo or they like the dress I was wearing. Okay. And then boom, sales on the website or whatever okay. it might be. So metrics also can mean very different things because you can also have, you know, all, I mean, I've seen it where someone has bought one of my pieces, massive, mm. massive following. They wear it, they tag it. Mm. I get nothing from it. Um, oh, wow. Last summer I had a lady in her forties buy the Juliet mini dress, right? She's got about 70 K followers. Um, and my, I had to turn off my phone, um, notifications because wow. my phone would ping, like with a cash sound every time a sale was made. Wow. And at the same time, I'd had somebody who had like half a mil. Yes. Like the month before. And that brought nothing. Crickets. Not even clicks through to the website. And so that's oh, what wow. I mean. It's sometimes also metrics can... <laughs> Hey. I want to see the metric in my bank account. You know what? That's what I tell else. everyone. So the other day yeah. I actually posted about the show and I and mm-hmm. I was saying, um, and it was about validation. And yeah. on the face of it, we only have mm-hmm. like 1,300 or something followers on Instagram. Yeah. Saying that all, all 20,000 plus of you that, that tune mm-hmm. into the show, please, please, can you just like and follow yeah, us on can Instagram? Yeah, <laughs> Because the idea of these metrics around social media almost being like a chokehold for for most people, right? Um, What part of that do you kind of leave to the wayside and focus on the metric of your bank balance? I literally leave those metrics alone like the following sometimes my boyfriend will be like oh babe you're at 20.2 oh babe you're back at 20.1 and I'm like it's okay like, <laughs> it's, it's fine because for me it's more about the actual sales and that conversion how that's happening but that's when you have to realize what's important to you because for some people what's famous is being known it's being famous it's being whatever for me I've always loved the designers of old like a DVF Diane von Vossenberg or Donna Karen a lot of people could not point those women out on the street but I don't know about you, but like Donna Karen is like everywhere. She's the goat. A bag, a sheet from HomeSense, whatever it is, that brand is everywhere. And that's kind of like more my vibe is I would rather like people had We Are Kin in many different areas, you know, and we're really pushing that message of sustainability than anybody kind of knows my name. 
don't get me wrong, sometimes having those numbers does help you get deals. So for sure, I don't doubt that if I had more numbers, I would probably get more favorable deals from retailers and probably might be in some retailers or just like bigger deals in terms of when people come work with me influencing wise. No one's disputing that. But I would still rather the sales because some people have got the big numbers, but... As you said, they're not selling, they're not selling anything for exactly, you. Exactly. So um, the goal for you is right now with We Are Kin, yeah. B Corp certification. Yes. And also just to keep growing and sticking to those values. Every day that We Are Kin stays true to its values is a success for me. And that's another thing where you have to be you have to know what your actual indicators of success are and not what they should be. For me, it's about really going for everything with this brand and keeping it sustainable and ethical and doing the best I can by the women who buy it, by the people who make it, and also planet Earth. So that's what's important to me, genuinely. Also paying my bills, yes, because you know, <laughs> the dog needs to eat, okay? Totally. <laughs> um, and, and where do we find you? Um, so I'm at N-G-O-N-I and Goni on Instagram. Don't mm-hmm. find me on Twitter because I'd be out here tweeting like a crazy bandit. <laughs> um, and then it's also wearekin.co online or at wearekin.co on Instagram. And I'm always happy to answer questions and emails and things like that. And especially from like young creatives and young designers as well. But from customers as well. And also if you want something made randomly, like as in you want a wedding dress, we do those bits as well. But we have to get on because doing bridal is difficult I've seen <laughs> some of your bridal stuff yeah it's stunning <laughs> stunning stuff well thank you so much for coming on this week's episode it has been an absolute pleasure having you and um, lots of gems dropped I feel like we should have the sound effects in the background and yes guys please follow us on on social media uh, so people know that actually there are 20,000 odd of you yeah. that actually download and listen to the show. Um, thank you so, so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's been a really fun chat as well. So thank you. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Thanks, Ngoni. And we'll keep keep in touch and, and see where it goes. Go follow Ngoni. Perfect. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thank you to over 20,000 of you that have tuned in and have continued to tune in. Because of you, our show is now distributed on Vodacom Africa's platform, My Muse. Your support helps make this show bigger and better. If you're a fan of the show, we would love to know. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and join our community with weekly newsletters curated just for you. Check out our free resources on entrepreneurship, productivity, finance, and leadership at thirdcultureafricans.com. You can now catch special episodes with video on YouTube at Third Culture Africans. Let's connect on Instagram and Facebook at Third Culture Africans. Let's do this.